continuing our way through the Gospel of Matthew, the part of the Gospel of Matthew that is the Sermon on the Mount. We come today to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to begin at verse 33 in our reading. Jesus speaking says again, You have heard it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That way you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is radical, right? It is very much different than most of what we hear in the culture around us. Vengeance has taken on uh, a whole new uh, value, I think, for, for many people. They love it. They love to get that last line in, that, that zinger that's going to put the other person in their place. And since you didn't get spare a square very well, I'm going to tell you another Seinfeld story, um, and you probably won't care about it either, but I'm going to say it anyway. You see, George Costanza was at a meeting in his office, and there were, I don't know if you remember, but there were snacks available, and one of those snacks was shrimp, and he was eating a lot of shrimp. You remember, right? <laughs> and this guy across the table says, hey, George, the ocean called. They're running out of shrimp. George got mad. He was furious. That guy made him look stupid, and George wanted to get back at him. So he was thinking and thinking and trying to come up with a line that would get back at this guy. But of course, as you know, you don't come up with those lines in the moment. When you're there, it comes to you in the car on the way home, right? Not that you would ever do that, but if you did, that's how it would happen, probably. So George comes up with a line, and he's very excited to share that line with this guy and put that guy in his place. The guy gets transferred to Ohio. <laughs> but George is committed to his plan of vengeance, and he goes to the meeting at the company in Ohio, and he orders a bunch of shrimp so he can eat a bunch of shrimp in front of this guy so the guy can say, hey, George, the ocean called. They're running out of shrimp. So he could get his line in. Sure enough, it took a while. He had 
really disgusting to watch. But he's piling shrimp into his mouth, and the guy across the table, you can see his face light up because he's ready to put the zinger in and get a whole new audience to laugh at George. And he says, hey, George, the ocean called. They're running out of shrimp. And George says with his great line he came up with, well, the jerk store called, and they're running out of you. Silence in the room until the guy that he's sparring with says, hmm, shouldn't hurt him too much. You're their number one bestseller. <laughs> Poor George. He tried to get revenge and it backfired on him. And that's how it so often is in the world around us. Something happens to us and we either want to get revenge or our spirits just sink down to nothing. We feel valueless, we feel unimportant, we feel like nobody sees anything good in us. And we're defeated. This passage tells us a different way to live. First, Jesus talks about giving oaths. Do not swear by anything, he says. And that's why the concept of a pledge card for me is uncomfortable. I like to call it an estimate of giving card because it sounds like an oath, but that's another story you don't need to know. But that's why we don't do it here, call it that. Anyway, the point is that Jesus is talking about the law and how the law is there to make us better people. Sky Dathani, uh, a preacher and speaker, has a wonderful sermon on this text. And in it, he uh, quotes a movie that was made, believe it or not, even before I was born. 1962, I think, The Birdman of Alcatraz. In it, there's a convict and a prisoner, a prison guard. The convict says to the warden, I wonder if you even know what rehabilitation means. The unabridged Webster's International Dictionary says it comes from the Latin root habilitas, meaning to invest again with dignity. Do you consider that part of your job, Harvey, to give a man back the dignity he once had? You're only interested in how he is in how he behaves. You want your prisoners to dance out of the gates like puppets on a string with rubber, stamps value, rubber stamp values impressed by you, with your sense of conformity, your sense of behavior, even your sense of morality, and that's why you are a failure. Because once you're on the outside, once they're on the outside, they're still lost, just going through the motions of living, and underneath there is a deep, deep hatred. So the first chance they get to attack society, they do it. And the result, more than half of them come back to prison. Jathani goes on to say, now Stroud's critique of the prison system helps us understand the limitations of law in general. Laws may be good, laws may be just, laws may give us a sense of what's right and wrong, a sense of morality. Laws can put barriers, hedges, gates around how far evil is allowed to go. But what law cannot do is truly rehabilitate us. It cannot restore the dignity to us that God wants us to have as the creatures made in his image. What law cannot do is truly take the evil, the anger, the hatred out of our hearts. 
So Jesus is quoting the law, saying this is the hedge around your behavior that will keep you better. But I'm telling you something even better than that. A whole new way of living so that you don't have to make an oath to prove that you're telling the truth this time, but you tell the truth every time, and there's therefore no need to make an oath. He goes on to say, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Well, this is justice, right? Isn't this the way life should be? This is karma? And I say every chance I get, karma is a flawed concept. We know it doesn't work, because some people seem to have bad and bad and bad piled on top of them, and other people seem to skate through life without much problem. But it does bring a sense of justice. In fact, it's told, um, the commentators believe that an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, was meant to be a limit on what could happen to a person. It, It was meant to say, wait, don't take vengeance beyond what has been done to you. Don't make it worse like the little girl up here for children's sermon said, don't, if you hate someone, they're going to hate you more. Don't make it worse by piling more punishment on than what they did. But Jesus says, that law, that hedge around how bad you could be isn't enough. It's not enough to take you the whole way to dignity, to take you the whole way to restore the dignity of the other. Do not set yourself against an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If someone wants to... Uh, sue you and take your shirt hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, I hesitate to bring up some of the historical background to help us understand because I want you to feel confident in reading the word that you can understand it. But there are often uh, historical guides, helps, commentaries that help us to get a a deeper understanding of what is being said, and that's true for these. Um, First tunics, which is the inner shirt. You had a coat that was used um, to keep you warm, also is used for, as a blanket, and then a tunic, which most people had more than one of. And if you had a debt, uh, you would place your tunic as collateral. Everybody had clothing, most, you know, so they had something to put up as collateral. And then if you didn't pay, the person would come after you and say, I'm going to take your shirt. And Jesus says, give them your shirt, give them your coat too, because you don't want to owe anyone anything. You want to give grace upon grace. Soldiers in that day, the Roman soldiers, as they walked along, were permitted to just see a random citizen on the street and say, here's my pack, you're supposed to carry it. And the limit was a mile. You're allowed to carry it one mile. 
And then you were released. Where did I put that other mile? Oh, there it is. Take the pack two miles. And what he's saying is amazing when you think about it. Because what it does is it changes the obligation that you're put under to carry that pack into a choice. A willing choice to serve that person. And that's what all of these are about. It's about living a kind of life that is outside of the tit for tat, the outside of the I got mine, now you're going to get yours mentality. Because it is a life that is lived by the values of the kingdom of God. By the dignity that God desires to give to every person. The law was set up to try to bring some semblance of morality. But there is a deeper reality, and that is the reality of our humanness. Our humanness when it is fully dignified. The way where we were created and the way the redemptive power of Jesus Christ recreates us to make us new creatures. And as new creatures, renewed creatures, as people who are loved so much that we have nothing left to prove, as people who are valued so highly that we do not need to set ourselves up against someone else and set up a, a measuring rod to see if we're valuable enough. We are as valued as a person can possibly be. We are as loved as a person can possibly be. And in Jesus Christ, we can experience this love. And if you've received this love, you will naturally, hopefully, share this love. Now, not perfectly, right? Nobody expects you to be perfect. Oh, except Jesus. Verse 48 be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Once again, I want to help us understand what the word means in its original context. That word perfect means mature. It means complete. But it also means perfect. Jesus is telling his disciples, and by extension you and me, to be complete, to be mature to be perfect. And what he's really saying is know who you are. Is know who you are as God's beloved daughter or son, as one who is fully redeemed by God, as one who is fully loved, fully valued, who has a deep purpose. And when you know who you are, when you live within the kingdom of God, within the values of the kingdom of God, even as you walk through the kingdoms of this earth, you will be different from the world around you. That's what Jesus wants of us. He wants us to be people who demonstrate God's grace, God's goodness, God's love in a way the world doesn't. 
So when believers act in retaliatory ways, when we lash out to someone else, when we try to come up with that snappy comeback that's going to put them in their place, or when we harbor grudges, or we are hateful in our attitudes, we are not living as people of the kingdom of God. And that's a shame. Because we are robbing ourselves of the joy of knowing God's grace, and we are robbing the world of knowing God's grace because we are failing to demonstrate it. We are called to radical truth to radical reconciliation, and to radical love. When someone is cruel to us, our response should not be to get back at them, but to pray for them, it says here. Because our desire as citizens of the kingdom of God is that all will come to know God's grace and mercy that all will come to know their dignity as God's sons and daughters. Now, many say this passage is scary because if we just turn the other cheek, if we just let people take advantage of us, or we tell other people to let abusive husbands take advantage of their wives, to let back in the day slave owners take advantage of their slaves to let cruel bosses take advantage of their employees to let one race take advantage of another because of privilege if we just let this happen we're standing by but we have to understand what this is really about. This is about human dignity. This is about the kingdom of God. So it does not mean to stand by and let evil triumph. It means to seek out the dignity, to seek out the best for the other. And the best is for them to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And the way to do that is to receive that truth more and more deeply into our hearts, that we can be confident walking through this world because our identity is not in this world. Our identity is in the kingdom of God. And God is a good, good father. So many of the problems we have are because we live with an attitude of scarcity. There's not enough. But God is generous. God is gracious. God will provide. So there is no need to live in this scarcity, which creates jealousy and anger. But to live in a world where God is ultimately in charge, where God will ultimately bring justice and peace, and satisfaction, and eternal dignity to each one. It's radical, but it's wonderful. Amen.